Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This morning we are going to continue our exposition of this general epistle. And if you would stand with me. And we may ask for God's blessing upon us and then I'll read verse 12. Let's pray together. Now blessed God, we come this morning to worship and adore you. And we come, O Lord, to receive truth, to receive light from your word, from your mouth, Lord, from the throne of Christ. And we ask, O Lord, that you would bring to us understanding and knowledge Give us, O Lord, wisdom as we bring ourselves under the teaching of Your Word that we would be, Lord, enveloped by it. That we would hide it in our hearts. That we would begin to shape our thinking by it. That we would fill our hearts with it and begin, O Lord, cultivating desires that are acceptable in Your sight. Those desires that are pleasing to You. Lord, teach us this word and help us to see what the blessed life really is and help us O lord to wean ourselves where we have become encumbered by the world entangled in the world's philosophies the errors lord of this life and help us O lord to grasp and cling and hold on to the blessed truth of your eternal word and all of god's people said amen Beloved, I want to read verse 12 to you. Listen now to the Word of God. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, beloved, verse 12 presents itself nicely and neatly sort of in the middle of the chapter. It's important, I think, to, uh, or at least I wanted to take the time this morning to just bring to you what this verse reveals to us because it sort of encapsulates what has come before it and it even encapsulate what will soon come after it as we continue to preach through the book. Verse 12 is James' description in a very concrete way of what the blessed life truly is. The ideal life. The good life. The life that we should all ascribe to and long for and desire for ourselves and for our loved ones. Now, beloved, each of you more than likely has some idea of the ideal life in your mind. And I'm sure it's different as we were to work in the congregation. I'm sure that if we are young and single, the ideal life may be to have that perfect spouse that perfect husband or that perfect wife, that if we could just obtain that kind of relationship, we would have the ideal life. And I'm sure if we're sitting here and we're young parents with young children, the ideal life is to just raise 
these children and to, to see these children thrive and grow in grace. And if we could just have that, that would be the ideal life. And we have families that have children that are grown and getting older and we could think, you know, the ideal life is to see our children successful and to see them start their own families and, you know, uh, that we would not have the any apostatizing in the faith, that we would see all of our children ascribe and love the Lord and walk in His paths. And we say, well, that's the ideal life. Older saints... Thinking of retiring, thinking of the end of their lives, widowed or divorced or whatever the case may be, thinking, well, the ideal life would be security. It'd just be that, that peace, that, 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 that peacefulness. If I could have peace, it'd be ideal. Now, brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with any of those things I described, but what comes into play here is that oftentimes we are not strong enough to put them in their proper place. We make idols out of them. We, we, we allow ourselves to be consumed, if you will. We allow uh, the, these godly desires that we, are know, that we know are appropriate to be overridden, to be replaced. By just the, the, the fixation of, oh, if I could just get these, these children grown, if I could just get, you know, the perfect husband or the perfect wife, if I could, if I could just have as many children as I wanted, or if I could just have a career, or if I could just have this savings account, and all of those things, nothing wrong with all of those things. But where those things become diff, become sinful is when we replace what James describes for us as the true and blessed life with these things. So beloved, we're going to look at this morning what James describes in a very concrete way, this blessed life, and compare ourselves with it. And where we fall short, we ask that our God would grant to us repentance. That our God would grant to us repentance and He would show us areas in our lives, whether young or old, whatever stage of life that we find ourselves in, that we would begin to realign our thinking this morning, renew our covenant with our God and see how good and kind and gracious He is and allow that to motivate us in love for Him. Now let's talk about this blessed man now, beloved, we have to ask the question, what is this blessedness? What is, what is it? And I think it's important to first acknowledge what it's not. Well, it's not those things that I described for you in and of themselves. The blessed life is not being popular. It's not what James is talking about, as we'll see. The blessed life is not being financially secure. He just dealt with the rich man, didn't he? The blessed life, so you might say the blessed life isn't materialistic. The rich man is cut off in the midst of his pursuits. Nor is the blessed life the minimalist. 
You know, that we might take a vow of poverty and own nothing or have nothing or desire this minimal life in a way that, well, we can bless the Lord even more. It's not that. Because even the poor are, are if you would say, right for many kinds of temptations in and of themselves, right? You see... It's not what the world says it is. You know, we um, are inundated with commercials. If you watch any kind of television, you expose yourself to commercials. And these commercials all present some philosophy, some idea, some ideal. If I own this or have this or if I take this pill... These things are going to happen and these are good things. They're presented to you as good things. Or if not, you wouldn't buy them. You wouldn't desire them. You wouldn't want them. And we must be wise to these tactics and schemes and we must understand that even though there is a place for uh, certain things, that that's not what makes a man or a woman blessed. You see, beloved, the opposite of this blessedness is misery. It's misery. It's sorrow. Because that's exactly the status of any who are not blessed. So now we need to define this blessedness, don't we? This blessedness, beloved, contains two elements, or at least Two characteristics. The first characteristic is, well, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning of man's creation to understand blessedness. Man was created in the beginning in righteousness, in truth, a pure soul, if you will, with the ability to make his own free choices. Man was created in this blessedness made in the image of God. In the beginning, God created man. And the Bible says that God created man. Male and female, He created them. You see, in the very beginning, though Adam and Eve were created, they were, their blessedness was in the image that they were created in. They were created separate from the animals. None of the animals shared in God's image. None of the animals shared in the image of God. And in that sense, they were what? Blessed. They were blessed to be created in God's image in a way that would bring them close and near to their Creator where they could have communion with Him. They were blessed with uprightness so that they could share in this relationship with God, that they could enjoy it. God is holy. And God created man, male and female, in His image, in holiness that they would share in His fellowship. Now brothers and sisters, that's blessedness. I hope you can kind of see where we're going or where we might can end up. 
You see, the blessedness that we're talking about here is that we have been created and the purpose of our creation is that we might have fellowship and communion with God and that we would exercise the dominion that God has given us to exercise in Him. We would enjoy Him, love Him, desire Him, worship Him. That's blessedness. What did sin do when it entered into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve? It brought sin. I mean, it brought misery and sorrow. It brought the lack of fellowship. It brought broken fellowship. There was no longer this heart of pure righteousness, but desires to actually be selfish and to do evil and to do that which is bad. It was broken fellowship. See, James is describing for us this blessed man. But the other aspect of that, beloved, that comes after salvation is the restoration we have in Christ. Christ. What does Christ come to do in your life? He doesn't come that you might just see Him as some cosmic vendor. Someone to just give you whatever you want, when you want it, how you want it. He comes to be the restorer of the kingdom of God. The restorer of the image of God. He comes to forgive. He comes to bless you with forgiveness and justification. He comes that you might be cleansed from your sins. He comes to give you truth in life. He comes to give you a new heart, a new mind, and to restore the image that was lost in sin. That's the blessed man. The blessed man, beloved, is that man and woman that is in favor with God. Favor. Someone who has experienced the covenant of grace, the, has experienced the forgiveness of sins, have that, that, that guilt taken from them. Those sins washed away. The blessed, the blessed man <clears throat> is the one that can truly say, and only the one who can truly say, that they know God and they love Him. That's what James said. And notice, <clears throat> notice the verse. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. That's the blessed man. This blessedness is, is the one who has experienced this, this forgiveness, who has been brought into this covenant of grace where they have experienced God's mercy and God's goodness and they continue to experience that grace and goodness. A blessed man is the one that before the foundation of the world, God chose them. To be his sons and daughters. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. Notice what James says. He says in the exercise of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among God's creatures. Notice James does highlight here. God's will. Now notice, I want to tell you something about God's will. God doesn't do anything that does not please Him. <laughs> Everything 
God does pleases him. It pleased God to exercise his will in electing those who would believe and trust in him through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. You see the end game in some respects here that the blessed man is not the one who doesn't know Christ. The blessed man is not the one who has all of the gifts of this world, but that has no relationship with God in Christ. The blessed man is not the one who doesn't love the Word of God. The blessed man is not that person who will receive eternal life because of what they've achieved or or what they have or because of who they are. That's not blessedness. It's it's something the world highly, highly values and places a great emphasis upon. But brothers and sisters, let us continue to look at this blessed man and again examine ourselves in light of what is said. James goes on to tell us about this blessedness and he says this life, this this blessed person or this blessed life is the one who perseveres under trial. It's a tested life. The blessed man is the one who undergoes testing. Testing. What does it mean to be tested? It means to be proved. It means to be authenticated. To be tested means to be tried. To be examined. The blessed life is not the one that is absent of difficulty. It's not the life that is absent of hardships, of agitations. It's it's not the life that is just filled with comforts and only comforts and luxury, and there's never any opportunity other than fulfilling one's pleasures and desires. That's not the blessed life. The blessed life here concretely shown to us is a life that is a tried life. It is interesting in the original language, it's a present tense verb. It means that it's something that's ongoing. The blessed person is going to be tried, has been tried, and will be tried. Why do you try something? What's the purpose of putting something under trial? To find out its genuineness? To find out whether or not it's the real thing, the real article, the genuine article, if you will? To find out if it is what it says it is. That's why, you, that's why you might test something or put some product under trial. You want to find out if it will hold up to the claims that are made about it. And we come to know Christ and one of the things that we confess that we, we know the Lord Jesus Christ that we've asked for forgiveness of sins that we are declaring in our repentance a hatred for sin. 
At the same time, even without verbalizing it, we are declaring our love for righteousness. Our love for truth. That is our love for everything that is opposed to sin. When we confess sin, we are declaring a hatred and an open hatred for everything that is sinful, dark and wrong and bad and evil. Lord, when we come to confess our sins, not only do we confess our sins and put our hands to the work of righteousness, but beloved, we claim to know and love God. To love God is to love the ways of God, is to love the things God loves. It's to desire what He desires. It's to, to it's, it's the things that bring God pleasure is our delight. That's what it means. And the trials of life put all of that to the test, doesn't it? See, we're no better than Adam. Adam and Eve, were, they were put to the test and they were made perfect before God. They were made in perfect holiness and righteousness and God put them on probation that they would have their love tested. And Adam could have, and Eve could have perfectly chosen to love God and give, to continue giving Him preeminence. James even tells us, right, Draw near to God and the devil will flee from you. And that's exactly what they should have done. But they didn't draw near to God. In fact, what they did was they replaced God with themselves. It was no longer God's authority that they wanted to live by. They thought, well, my authority is better. And so I'll replace God's authority with my authority. We're tested. See, the blessed life, beloved, is going to be tested. The blessed life is a life that's going to stand trial. And God is going to give every one of us who profess to know Him in Christ the opportunity to choose good over evil. To love Him or love ourselves. Think about all the times that we have undergone the opportunity. We've been faced with a decision to choose between good and evil and we've chosen self. We've chosen to do what is good in our eyes, not what's good and what not what pleases God or brings Him pleasure. We've been tried. We've been tested. What's the purpose of these trials and tests? Well, James tells us, doesn't he? So that we might be made mature. That we might be made complete in Him, in Christ. That we would have the the desires and intents of our hearts shown to us. That's the purpose. You see, beloved, we don't really know fully our hearts. And we don't understand how even uh, good or how evil we truly are. We, we are unable to discern perfectly and completely our own hearts. And the Bible says that the heart is seriously, seriously def- uh, flawed and deceptive. Only God can truly know it. And it's God who weighs out the intents of the hearts to give to each man or woman what they truly deserve. 
So God brings these trials. The blessed man is tried. He's, he's undergoing this testing so that he might find out in his own heart what is that needs to be replaced, what needs to be dealt with, what needs to be prayed over, what needs to be put to death, what needs to be shunned. And that's why God allows His children to undergo trials that we might be made holy, perfect, and complete in His sight. Well, God knows our hearts. It's not a surprise to Him, but we don't. And that's why we understand how blessed it is truly to, be, uh, to undergo these tests so that we might know ourselves and that we could go to our God who is so good and gracious when we fail and ask for forgiveness. And when we, when, when we have that moment of success, what should we do? Praise His name. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For our God is good. And He's good above all imagination. Anything that we can actually even come up with, our God is extremely better than that. And the blessed man is a man that is tested in all kinds of ways. As you grow up, you're going to face all different kinds of temptations and tests. And the older you get, those tests are going to change. All along the way, in every stage of life, whether you're young, before marriage, during marriage, young couple, married couple, with children, without children, whether you retain that marriage, whether, that, whether you become widowed, divorced, whatever the case may be, God is going to give you opportunity after opportunity to continue to be tried and tested so that you might exercise in your recreated condition in Christ a love for God. That's ultimate. You see, where would we all be right now if Adam had just said, nope, my love for God is too great. Be gone, Satan. Where would we be? Not only is the blessed man a tried man, notice what James goes on to say. He says he's he's approved. He's approved. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. What is this approval? What is this approval? Well, this approval is the passing of the test. It's good marks. You know, in school, you want to get good marks. Anything above a D? Well, in my case, it was a D or better. Mainly D's, but that was a passing mark. We desire to be approved. What is this desire, this, this approval that James is speaking of here? Well, it's the fact that what Christ, has, what Christ is, has done and is doing will succeed. Christ, listen, Christ has not given His Spirit... To anyone, His Word to anyone, Christ has not made anyone a new creation that will not pass the test. I want you to think about this. You say, well, pastor, my life is filled with failures. 
today's a great day to see that. To, to acknowledge that and to acknowledge, you know what? I've been looking at this all wrong. I can't live for myself and be blessed. I have to, to live for God. That's why, listen, why were you made? Why were you made? You were made to live the blessed life. You were made for that. You were made to live this blessed life that James is talking about here. You were made to live the blessed life of glorifying God, walking with Him, having fellowship and communion with Him, enjoying this this camaraderie with God, enjoying the instruction of God, that you would walk in His ways and find great delight in all of that. That's why you were made. If you take anything and use it contrary to what it was designed and made for, it doesn't work out well. So you weren't made to live for self. You weren't made for it. That's why you have people who have everything, worldly speaking. They have all the money they can ever spend. They can take as many vacations as they ever want to take. They can do whatever they want to do lawfully in the eyes of men and they commit suicide. And they leave notes behind that says, I'm unfulfilled. That's men and women. I watched a a very tragic and sad documentary a week ago. The documentary was titled, I Want My Sex Back. And it was a documentary that highlighted people that had undergone gender surgery. And you know what they all said? It didn't fix my problem. It didn't fix me. See, I thought my problem was physical. My problem's not physical. It's inward. It's a heart problem. And it even showed one of them reading Scripture. Reading Genesis. And how God had made man in his own image. And how they were now testifying to all of those who were considering this this change not to do it. The problem is in you, not outside of you. That's what we're talking about. You're not made for yourself. You are made for God. So that you would live before Him in all that He has given you to live with and by to bring Him glory. God said, go have dominion. Go enjoy the earth. Go harvest its resources. Go bring all the plant and animal life under your domain and control and desire and enjoy it and bring me glory by doing it. And Be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Marry. Have families. And teach those children that they are also made for me. That's what we're talking about. That's the blessed life here. It's not a life of ease and pleasure. It's not a life absent of agitation and frustration. Beloved, when we face those, you have two options. You can live for self or you can live for God. And when you live for self, you are saying, at that moment, at that moment, I don't love God. I love self more. It's this blessed life, brothers and sisters, is a tried life, but it's a life that receives the approval of God. 
this approval isn't based upon our efforts, our raw efforts. It does have effort. But it's not based upon who we are, what we can offer, or what we do. It's based on this relationship that we now have in the Lord Jesus. We are approved in Christ, but when we profess to know Christ and to walk in grace and mercy, guess what's required of us? Loyalty. Grace doesn't erase obedience. Some Christians think that. There are some Christians, and I believe in great error, when they say, well, now that I believe in Jesus, I don't have to do anything. See, I don't know how in the world you would ever have approval. How would you earn? How would you see approval? How, if there was nothing required of you loyalty-wise, obedience-wise, love-wise, how would you ever have confidence you truly know Jesus? That's my point. You know why I know the Ezel children belong to Nisa and Chuck? They love them. They obey them. That's their mama and daddy, right? My children belong to Deborah and I, and, and they love us, and they obey us. And, and you see what I'm that, that is, there's identification there. When we talk about Zion membership, there's identification. When we have church functions, when we do church things, what do we do? We participate. We're a part of it. This is our family. This is what we do. There's, a, there's loyalty and commitment there. We've taken vows to grow together as part of the body of Christ. There's identification. So when we came to know the Lord, we, we must walk in His ways. We must walk in His ways. Notice what James does to enhance and I guess even to to intensify this blessed life and this life of trial and agitation. This, This life that is put by God's sovereignty under trial. He says this, he says, For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. That's an incentive. The crown of life is the end game, so to speak. James, is, James sets before us this picture of the present day believer. And he says, look, this is the blessed life. It's the one who undergoes the trials of, of this life. And who, one who seeks to be pleasing to God in the midst of those trials. We must die to self. We must please and love God. And we must, when we fail to do that, we must repent of those things. And then put our hands afresh and anew to the work. James brings to this, this, this reward, if you will, of the crown of life. The one who is tried, the one who is approved, he or she is the one who receives the crown. Notice, notice, notice the, the, the progression. The one who is not tried, the one who is not approved, does not receive the crown of life. This crown is not a gold crown. This crown is not a crown that's rift with jewels and gold and silver. It's the athlete. It's the athlete's crown. It's the crown that an athlete would receive in a game when he's endured the test of his event. 
when he's run or she's run the race, if you will, when he has endured all the practices, all the training, and and then and then and then did then and ran the game, or they get the crown. And that's an incentive, isn't it? It's something that we have to recognize because. It highlights the goodness of our God. It's not that we deserve it, and it's not that we run this race, or it's not that we uh, do well in all of these trials by our own strength. Well, we certainly do not. It's by the means of grace. It's by the strength that Christ gives to us and works in us. Nevertheless, it is something that's held before us, the crown of life. Notice, the crown of life. Really living eternal life. You see, beloved, again, all throughout the Bible, we are presented with what real living really is. It's not just living for self. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the, the Hollywood lifestyle. It's the one who walks before his or her God in, in humility, submission, and loyalty. That's the, that's the best life. That's the blessed life. The crown of life is set, is set up for them. Now, brothers, listen, listen to me. The tried life is the life that will be approved. When there's failure, I want you to think, Adam and Eve fail? Yes, they failed. Were they restored in Christ? Yes. They were restored in Christ. We've got, we have examples of all through the Bible of godly men sinning Noah. Look at Abraham. Abraham is highlighted as a figure. Here he was. He was given this glorious promise of a son and his seed would be that seed which would bless all the families of the earth. And it was 25 years later before God ever brought that promise to fulfillment. And during that 25 years, Abraham underwent trial after trial after trial. And some he succeeded in and others he failed in. But he in God's grace, persevered and received the crown of life. Now, I want that to be you. And I want you to want that for yourself. And I want you to want that for your spouse and for your children and for your, your church friends. It's, it's this incentive James sets forth. It's the purpose of, listen, if this is not you, this isn't yours. What does the Bible say when Jesus talks about the rich man who has everything? What does it gain for a man to have everything and lose his soul? You know what? And notice what Jesus taught us when He dealt with the rich man and Lazarus, right? When Lazarus woke up, or when the rich man woke up in hell, in what we would call in the place of torment... What did, what was the message to him? For did you not receive the good things in this life? Then you say, well, was he being punished for receiving the good things in this life? No. He received the good things in his life without ever grasping the blessed life. 
without ever recognizing that these good things were all given to him by God's goodness and he never blessed God for them. He never glorified God with them. And he never loved God and loved his neighbor as himself with his riches. And he went to hell. This crown of life is set up to all of those who are under trial. All of those that we, as we progress on in this life, as we seek to persevere in in our union and communion with Christ, as we can fix our eyes upon Him, as we walk and as we stumble and we fall, the Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times and he gets up and continues on. You have an opportunity this morning to hear these words. And I hope they're sweet words to you. I hope you recognize. You can say, Pastor, I have failed. Lord, I have failed. You know I have failed, but I want this day to renew myself to you. I want this day to renew my love for you, my commitment, my loyalty to you. I want to renew my love for God. I want to renew my desire for His Word now. Because notice what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, not only does uh, that person receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised. Not only is there reward at the end of this life, but beloved, there is something that, that secures that idea to us. And it's a promise. The Lord promises this crown of life to all those who are persevering and approved. And you say, well, listen, here's the emphasis here. Can the Lord lie? He cannot. The Lord cannot lie and still be just. The Lord cannot lie and still be holy. And yet the Lord says, I promise to you who persevere in grace, in the strength of Christ, that you will find approval. I shall promise you the crown of life. It's, that, it's intensified with a promise. God doesn't need to promise you know why we promise as fathers? Because we don't often deliver sometimes. You know, we come to our children and we say, hey, I'm going to take you to the fair next week and things happen, you know, business and jobs and life, what we call life happens and providence happens and, and we don't always... Able, but when we want to emphasize something, what do we say? We say, I promise I'm going to do this for you. See, now I want you to notice this. God never tells you one thing He's going to do and, and, and never fails to do it. Now add a promise to it. What a picture of love He has for us. What a picture of goodness for us. He knows we're weak. Why would you even set up the crown of life? Because He knows our weaknesses. Why do I need to be tried? Why do I need to be? Why do I need to undergo these difficulties? This is too hard. I, I, this is uncomfortable. I don't understand this. It looks like my life is a mess. Everybody else is having fun and a good time. And it's just one trial after another. I don't even know if I want to continue on. He says, oh, the crown of life for you. See, that's the incentive for us to overcome these weaknesses and these temptations to, to withdraw to our own authority and to say, you know what, Lord, give me the strength I need. I'm tempted to walk away. Hold on to me. I want to receive the crown of life that the Lord has offered me. 
There's nothing wrong with rewards. This reward is an incentive for us to persevere in these trials and be, to find approval before our God, not anyone else. You know what? You may live this life and you may actually live a life with very few friends if you're going to do the right thing. I don't know that. It could be. You may have a difficult time in your marriage if you marry somebody that doesn't truly have your same mindset and love for the Lord. You could have a, a, a whole lifetime of hardships because of different ideals, different goals, what, what, a different perspective on true religion. Remember, this is what James is teaching us is true religion, he says at the end of the chapter. And then we have the setup before. He says, oh, the crown of life with a promise. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to show that's God recognizing your weaknesses, my weaknesses. This is God showing us how much He truly cares for us and loves us by setting forth, setting openly a reward and then enhancing that reward with a promise. And God even did that with, Ab- with Adam. Here, Adam was created in righteousness and he was created upright. And he said, look, Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you pass in this probation, you will secure for yourself eternal life. Not only for yourself, but all your posterity after you. And now he even does that in our fallen and redeemed condition. He sets forth life, this life, a blessed life. Notice what he goes on to say, though. There's this little, it's not a caveat, but I think it's important to note what James ends the verse with. He says, he says, it's the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Again, it's a clarification of who's going to receive approval, who's going to receive the crown of life, and who's going to be, be the beneficiary of the promise. Those who love the Lord. If you don't love the Lord, none of this is true of you. If you don't love the Lord, none of this is true of you. I mean, that's, that's, that's as simple as it can get. You see, Adam failed to love the Lord. And he brought into his bosom sin and misery. And a lot of sorrow. And we do the same thing. When we choose our way over God's way, when we choose what's right in our own eyes over what God says is right, we bring to ourselves sorrow and misery. When we do that as God's children, we are grieved. We confess that guilt that we bring to ourselves. We confess our sins. You see, beloved, the life of the Christian is not a perfect, sinless life once coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a life that recognizes that we fail and we sin and that it's a life filled with repentance, confession, to acknowledge our sins and to acknowledge that God's way is the right way, to acknowledge that our love for God should be first in our lives. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what Paul says 
in Galatians that the, the essence of the law is to love God. That's what he says. That the very foundation of obedience is love for God. Paul in the book of Corinthians addresses this facade of love and he says, listen, you know, sometimes people get caught up in the fanaticism of stuff. We can rally for the... uh, you can rally against abortion. You can rally against human rights or against the trampling of human rights. I mean, you can rally against all kinds of wrongs and do so wrongly with all the wrong motivations. And Paul said, if I give my body to be burned for the, for, you know, to, to, as a, as being persecuted in the name of, of Christ and I give my body to be burned and as a testimony that I'm not going to recant his name. He said, well, if I do that without love, it is for nothing. Nothing. Love, brothers and sisters, is the foundation of true Obedience to God and service to neighbor. That's what James is doing when he puts this at the end of this verse. He is descriptive. He's describing. He's given these descriptions. Listen, if you are someone who loves God, you have the blessed life. If you love God, you're undergoing trials for His glory and you're good. Those who love God will have that love tested, tried. So what? So that that love can be authenticated. My servant truly loves me. My servant truly loves me, willing to give up all their friends. Willing Willing to stand in a very difficult and unpopular situation, right? To To love me. And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, you know, listen, those who recognize me and my Father will will not go unnoticed. But to deny me is to deny the Father. And to deny the Father is for the Father to deny you. Now, brothers and sisters, turn with me to 1 John and we're going to bring our message to a close. 1 John. See, we have to ask, how do we know we love God? I feel, right? We always, we we are subjected to this, this mindset, this philosophy that love is a feeling. That love is primarily a feeling. That love is mostly a feeling. And there's a lot of danger an error that comes with that. But notice what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. That is, he's giving us a very concrete way in which we can know we love God. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word In Him the love of God is truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Now I'm going to stop there for the sake of time.
when James calls out this blessed life and he describes this blessed life and he talks about to those who love God, he's talking about those who obey God. Those who are loyal to Him. Those who desire Him. Those who want Him. And beloved, the the question will be this morning, is it me? Is this me? Am I the owner of the blessed life? Do I possess it? Is this the way I see my life? You see, beloved, I don't care what you have. I don't care how many, how popular you are or are not. See, I want you to ask yourself, do I really even have the right perspective of the blessed life? You know, I thought it was a certain kind of education. I thought it was a certain kind of car. I thought it was a certain kind of retirement or a certain kind of family. You know, I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted to feel a certain way. I wanted to be perceived a certain way. I thought it was all those things. But you know what I've learned this morning? It's not any of that. See, the blessed life is a life that undergoes a lot of tribulation. Because in Christ we must be tried. Our love for Christ will be a needs to be authenticated. How do we truly know we love God? How do we truly know we love Christ? How do we truly know we love His Word? Well, let me ask you. When we are faced with a trial, which way do we go? Which way do we go? You can say, well, Pastor, I, I, I don't know. I failed a bunch of them. Well, then this morning, turn to Christ. Confess your failures. Renew your love for Him today. He's there. So you couldn't do that if He didn't love you. You couldn't renew your commitment and loyalty to Him. You couldn't commend yourself to Him if He hadn't already loved you and given Himself for you. You couldn't do it. You wouldn't want to do it. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have mixed up success, in which I'm sure we, that's most of us, that we have mixed up failures and successes, let's give praise to God. Let's worship Him in thanksgiving. Let's recognize that our Lord doesn't owe us anything, and yet He offers to us the crown of life with a promise that you will, you will get it as you persevere in God's grace. And let's remember this. We are described as a people. We are described as those who love the Lord. There's no greater description can be said of you than a lover of God. No greater description can be said of you. You can say, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're handsome. Oh, you're wealthy. Oh, you're popular. Oh, you're so successful. None of those compare to the description, a lover of God. Let that be true of us all. Let's pray.